Stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hi, and welcome back to Raising Joy. My name is Dr. Kristen Perch, and I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist at Cook Children's Hospital in Fort Worth. And I have my beautiful co-host sitting right next to me. They can't tell I'm beautiful, but that's okay. This is objective feedback. (laughs) You are 100% gorgeous. (laughs) And I'm Winnie King. I am the Chief of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity and Communications at Cook Children's. Yes, that is amazing. That's a lot. Um, Guys, so I wanted to give you a heads up on something that you probably already know, but um, I'm here to tell you that your pediatricians really care about you. And I hope you feel that in your appointment. Um, And the way it comes to my attention is as a psychiatrist, a lot of um, the pediatricians at Cook will call me. I I probably talk to one a day um, that start a conversation about, hey, I'm really worried about this kid. That's Mm. almost always how Mm. they lead the conversation and they have a mental health concern that they would like some help for me to help them address in their practice. And so, um, I, they stay up at night, they worry about your kids just as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I saw this really be put into practice about a month ago, whenever, um, cook children sponsored and, uh, the reach Institute, um, to come to cook and teach 60 of our pediatricians about how to diagnose, screen and treat mental health concerns Mm -hmm. in their offices. And we know that they're seeing more and more and more behavioral concerns every day in their office. And so Cook was really um, hopeful to be able to give them the tips, the tricks, the the best practices Mm -hmm. to be able to put that into practice. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yes. And um, the great thing is, is that today we are talking to Dr. Anu Partap, who was instrumental in getting the REACH Institute to come to Cook Children's, um, so much so that her um, budget was spent pretty much exclusively in getting this here. So Mm. whenever I say she is a champion of mental health in my book, she is a champion, and I am so excited to be talking to her. So let's just jump in and welcome Dr. Anu Partap. She is the Physician Director of Health Equity at Cook Children's. Dr. Partap has been a pediatrician for more than 20 years and has extensive experience in the realms of public health, mental health, violence, child abuse, foster care, and adverse childhood experiences. Welcome to Raising Joy. Thank you all for being here. And that was a really sweet introduction. Thank you, Kristen. (laughs) A champion. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your background, because that was a mouthful that she was giving out. I know. You know that was a lot. I mean, it was so vast and so in-depth. So tell us a little bit about your background and how all of that came to be. Yeah, sure. And really, that intro just means like I'm really old. So the older <laughs> you are, the more you get to do. Seasoned. Yeah, seasoned. <laughs> so, you know, I loved, Kristen, what you said about uh, pediatricians care about their patients. Mm-hmm. And it's true. We think about them at night when we're with our own children with our own families, our minds wander back to your children and you and you as parents and caregivers. And and what I realized early on uh, when I started pediatrics was 
most of what's ailing my families and my patients, I have no control over. Mm. It's things that are happening in the community, in their schools, at home, uh, happened a hundred years ago, you know, things that no one comes in with a clean slate, even though we're like, what's your, what, why are you here today? And tell me about yourself. There's so much there. And so what really that list is really describing is a desperation on my part that in order to really help families, I needed to get out of the exam room, work with leaders and people who knew what they were doing and experts like Kristen and like you, Winnie, who can bring a voice to things and help us build programs and help us shine a light on things that are otherwise really hard to talk to talk mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, with you being the director of health equity at Cook Children, so what what exactly is health equity? Like, what does that mean? I know. I think I had to look it up when, <laughs> when I started the position. So you're like, wait, what did I get? Yeah, for? let me make sure I know what this is. So it's a really sort of jargony term, but the concept is really simple. It's that, you know, so when we're born, when our families welcome us into this world, we all have this vision, right? Like there's something that we're born to do, to become. And health equity is basically saying like, are we going to make sure that you can reach your full potential? So when I think about my children, you know, I want to make sure that my children reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. And if you have kiddos, then I should not be keeping your children from reaching their full potential. So the other part of health equity isn't just reaching your potential. It's that no one is keeping you from reaching that potential, that we're not introducing barriers or only letting some people have access to things. And we're letting you know that you're not quite up to this type of thing that's available to only these kiddos. It's the idea that everyone has an equal opportunity to achieve Mm -hmm. their full potential Mm -hmm. and no one is kept from achieving that potential. And it's really not intentional, intentional for the barriers to be there. Sometimes they're just there and we don't even realize why they're there. Yes, that's true. And so what happens is, you know, we probably I've listened to so many of your wonderful podcasts and sometimes there's a theme that there wasn't somewhere to go for help. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a resource available. Right. And what health equity reminds us to do is ask the question, well, is it available? And when it's available, is it welcoming and available to everyone? Mm-hmm. And if it's not available to everyone in this community, how do we make sure it is in another community? And when that opens up, do the people who welcome you when you call for that appointment or when you show up, did you feel like you could share who you are? Mm-hmm. Did you feel safe in that space? Did they hear you? And did you receive care that meets your family's culture, your values um, in a way that you can then take home? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just health equity is so important because I think it's a fancy word for the cook promise that we talk about that every Absolutely. life, is, like every life is sacred. Um, and that's why we do what we do. So I, I'm just so glad that they made this position because mm-hmm. it's relatively new, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. I think you're the first. Yes. So, uh, and yeah. like from what, a year and a half ago? Yes. So it's, it's pretty new, but I think that Cook Children's is a hundred years old. <laughs> the promise is way older than the sure. words health equity. And it speaks to why, uh, they can have Winnie's mm-hmm. position for mm-hmm. inclusion, yes. diversity, and equity and why they can also have health equity because it's how it's the fabric of Cook Children's for so many years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so part of the health equity was the REACH Institute, which I talked about just a few minutes ago. So what exactly is the REACH Institute? The REACH Institute is, to me, my favorite uh, training that's out there. 
that was started by Dr. Peter Jensen, who, um, if there was like a fangirl club, I think Dr. Perch and I would both be like president, vice president, something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he is a world-renowned, respected child psychiatrist who is passionate about children's mental health. And he realized that one of the barriers to children receiving uh, timely, excellent mental health care was that pediatricians may miss that a family had just come in or that a family had come in and we might have done part of the care, but we didn't realize it was a new study out two years ago that could guide us on a new and better treatment. So he committed his career now to making sure that he could bring high quality training to pediatricians so that within a weekend and then with some follow-up case calls, you could go from being kind of nervous and maybe sort of good at treating mental health to feeling like I can do this. I went into pediatrics to do this. I know exactly what to do. And it is the current evidence-based practice. And I mean, do you agree? It really does that. It was just amazing. It was just amazing. And to back up what Anu was saying, I joked that if Dr. Jensen, or if that there was a Mount Rushmore of child (laughs) psychiatrists, he would be like in the middle, like front and center, like wrote seminal articles, like Mm -hmm. the most important work that's been done in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Like he did it. So I just, yes, I, I was just in awe, you know, like total, total nerd, but just in awe to hear him, you know, in his big study was about ADHD management. And here he is talking about in the MTA study, this is how we did, this is how much the therapy cost. And I I just, my jaw was dropped, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's like when you find like your area of interest and you find Mm -hmm. the person who's a rock star in it and you're just listening to them talk about their job. I don't know, me being an extra dork, but. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, you had like 50 plus other ones right there with you. So, you know, I think what was neat too, is that the timing of it, uh, I I got to go to a training in the middle of COVID. Uh, It was virtual, of course. And the light bulb went off because we were already talking within Cook Children's about the increase uh, in children coming in really struggling and much higher um, severity of symptoms and families really nervous and worried and scared. And then to see that there's this training available. And really the question was, well, if we bring it to Cook, which we needed to do, especially during COVID, so that more of us were ready and prepared to receive and catch families when they come in, Will, will anyone show up for the training? Because there was also a lot of stress and burnout and we're still treating COVID, right? And and so we said, well, let's just make sure like we have room for 20. And you mentioned 60. And that was because to your point, when you opened, how much people care about everyone's families and children <laughs> showed when they just said, please sign me up and let me be ready to do this. And, uh, you know, to be able to offer that back to the community that we're here if you have seen your pediatrician and you didn't bring it up because you weren't sure that you were supposed to and you've been worried about your child mm-hmm. or you sort of brought it up, but you kind of held back, it's a good time for you to schedule again, get back in there and mm-hmm. bring it up because we really do want to make sure that we provide you with the care that your child needs. What, what's encouraging to me is that it, it feels like these pediatricians are, are taking care of the whole child, not just the physical child, but the whole of the child. And and as an adult, when I go to the hospital, I mean, go to my my doctor, he's not asking me about my mental health. You know, he's asking about the aches and pains that I came in for, but it doesn't feel like it's always about the whole of me. And I really yeah. love the fact that this is really taking care of the entire child. That's absolutely right. And I think sometimes when people hear a child psychiatrist or mental health, they think, oh, it's just medication. 
and you're just going to give my child pills and the child's thinking, I don't want to be drugged out. And that's really not at all. It's exactly what you said. To provide really holistic care, that includes your mental health. That's mm-hmm. your joy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's how do you raise joy without addressing your mental health? You can't play, grow, learn, laugh, cry because you mm-hmm. fell down and, and move on if you're so stressed, anxious, depressed, mm-hmm. or just on that cusp, right? So when you have a relationship with anyone who can remind you that we care about the whole of you, mm-hmm. That really is the first entry into being open and vulnerable enough to bring up what else you need. Yeah. Right. And I just think it's so, I think it's, you know, whenever I think about my pediatrician growing up, like I still think fondly of him, you know, and I haven't seen him since, you know, since I've been an adulthood, but you know, these pediatricians know these children and they know these families. And so, you know, if Dr. Hayward comes in and says, Hey, I really think that we should, think of, I'm really concerned about your kid. You know, we did this screener and she like, you know, it's, it's alarming. Like the, the alarm bells are going off. Would you think about starting counseling? Would you think about medicine? And I I feel like because they have known Dr. Hayward for 10, 15 years, that conversation goes a little bit more smoothly than this random child psychiatrist that they don't really know. And they're like, you don't know me. You don't know my family. You don't know what I value. You don't know how we work. And so um, I just think that that relationship is so key. And I I think that's a wonderful part about pediatricians being comfortable treating uh, mental illness in their office. And it's just, it's a gateway, you know, because one of the things we've Mm -hmm. seen at Cook Children's uh, during the pandemic has been uh, without that gateway, um, people end up in the ER. Yes. They end up right there, smack dab yes. into the ER. And now they've got to be at your doorstep, yes. Kristen, and talking to you. Absolutely. Again, like, you know, you don't know me. But if we can stop that, if we can stop that progression. Absolutely. Um, you know, and the and the pediatrician can catch it right there, then it makes it better, not only with the family, but it makes it better on the on the healthcare system too. For sure. Because we have been stretched to the limit. So just having that gateway really would be a, it is, it's a really positive thing. So really like that. What kind of training, what's the training like? Talk about that. You know, part of the training was a reminder of why we go into medicine and the things that sort of got chipped away at, I think, especially during COVID, but it's building that relationship and foundation with the family in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's remembering they come from a context of neighborhood and school and family and culture, that they're not a clean slate. There's adversity. Maybe there was trauma 10 years ago, two years ago, or yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that that is all part of the story that is presenting in front of you. It's reminding us that in the busyness of a family comes in because there's an earache, that's their only focus. But it's up to us to say, while we take care of this earache, I also noticed X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so it's reminding us to look at the whole child Mm -hmm. uh, in every moment we can. It's also about how to have these tough conversations, Mm. right? How do you go into a place, because you mentioned it, Winnie, on a previous podcast about stigma. Mm -hmm. So when you first bring it up, there's always this not my kid, right? Right. Um, And so making that real normal is part of that training. How do you normalize that mental health is just like when you come in for a sports physical, we're going to talk about mental health. You come in for a well child check, we're going to talk about mental health. And then how do you practically do that so that families aren't there two hours, right? Because they, yeah. they're they busy. You've yeah. talked about that too. People, everybody's running. And there are uh, these little screening tools. I know as a mom, it's annoying. I get it. You get handed <laughs> like, 
fill out this paperwork, <laughs> clipboard, pen, yeah. Yeah, right? Or it's online, either way. Um, but if you know that this checklist is going to uncover something that we can more easily and readily treat now instead of waiting for that ER visit, right. that's part of what we're, what that training focuses on. How do you put in practical terms the ability to find a child who's struggling, normalize the conversations, and then begin treatment as soon as the family is engaged with you in that treatment plan? Mm-hmm. Did I miss anything, Kristen? You nope. were there. Yes. Oh, it was. I mean, it was really incredible. There was a lot of role play. There was walking through specific, like take a patient example. Okay. Well, how, like, and then you have this rating scale. What exactly do you do? And I just, that's what I really appreciated was the real time practical points of like, this is how you do it. This is how we're going to get it documented because that's always a big burden for physicians and um, and then this, that way that they can focus on, like, how can we do all that other extraneous stuff quickly so that we can focus on the relationship? Like, that's, mm-hmm. I yeah. think, what I was really um, appreciative of. Um, how did this training expand access to mental health care for kids? You know, I think we hope it does. Uh, the, the biggest part of access is families have to ask for the help. Mm. And so the number one thing is we need families to feel like, okay, you can't really go through a pandemic without it having affected your child. Absolutely. I mean, it's impossible, right? Yeah. So yeah. so the most normal thing to have happen in your home is that your child has struggled, is struggling, somewhere on that spectrum. And if they are struggling, then it's that you reach out for help. And what we hope is that because we had folks from all, a whole bunch of counties, right? And <laughs> lots of different practice settings and different um, insurance plans and different languages. And so... We have this team that we feel like is poised and their hearts are open, their doors are open, and you just got a call. And then that access still, and this is really important to remember, and I'm saying this as a pediatrician, as a mom, um, it takes time. You know, like if if a child has a few broken bones, no one's like, you know, I want to be on their feet like by two days from now. And, and mental health is the same way. It's mm-hmm. going to be. Uh, conversation, relationship, time, trial and error. So part of that access is also trusting and coming back and finding the right fit, right? So if at first it doesn't quite fit right, keep at it because your child is so precious. That's why you're why you're listening to this podcast. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, so that's part of that access story too. Yep. Oh, that's really good. You've talked and I've heard you talk a little bit about social determinants of health. How do you think that they impact and talk a little bit about that and how they impact the child. Yeah, sure. So social determinants of health, kind of like health equity, it's a really jargony word. And, <laughs> you know, so what it essentially acknowledges is that there are a lot of things in our social sphere that have such a big impact on our health that they actually determine how healthy we're going to be. Mm. So it's not just um, the vitamins you take, how much you slept, you know, the quality of the food in your fridge. It's also, is my neighborhood safe? Do I have stable housing? Um, Is my immigration status going to put my family at risk? Uh, Is my sexual orientation going to put me at risk? Is my, I'm Asian Indian, I'm Indian. So um, does that somehow affect uh, my experience or my children's experience and then the stress that that puts on on their bodies and in their minds? So all of those social determinants of health affect how healthy or well a child is raised not just in their home, but in their community. Mm -hmm. And then it shows up 
in our clinics. And we don't always think about it, that there's like these 20 or 30 other things going on besides what the family is talking about. Um, and I think the big one that, that you know, unfortunately it took 2020 for us to, to go there, but uh, when we don't see value and celebrate every person's identity mm -hmm. as equal, and wonderful and contributing and necessary to uh, a beautiful society. Uh, when we separate people into boxes, um, that actually takes a massive toll, not just on their survival, but on our children mm -hmm. and how healthy and well they'll be and on their mental health. And so including social determinants of health, those hidden forces that are out there um, is a really important part of, of our day-to-day -day conversation. When you talk about putting people in boxes, it makes me think about um, um, people who are separate, separated, and 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 they're not treated well. Okay, because so we talk about racism and mm -hmm. discrimination. Yeah. How does that impact um, the social and mental, the mental health of a child? Yeah, and and I'm glad you're asking directly because we just don't talk about it enough, right? Mm -hmm. So. You know, discrimination, we know scientifically, affects the way the brain functions and affects the way that stress response is handled. And it trickles down to every body system. Mm. So it affects your heart, it affects your lungs, it affects your blood, it affects your liver. It just affects every part of your body because those chemicals from stress are coming from your brain. And, it, and discrimination isn't the only stress that causes that kind of stress response. It's living in a home where there's a lot of conflict. There's mm -hmm. domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, maybe someone has passed away. Child abuse and neglect. You know, a third of adults will say they were abused or neglected as a child. Mm -hmm. um, it might be that a family member was struggling with addiction. Um, there was a really rough divorce or separation. Um, that somebody, um, a family adult has mental illness, right? So we have all these different stresses that can happen in a child's life. And any one of those without someone wrapping their arms around that child during that experience, reminding them you are safe, you are loved, you are valued, we've got this together, mm -hmm. right? Without that protective layer, that's when those stress hormones get released and we see all these issues with... Uh, mental health issues, physical health issues, and they can be lifelong, right? So these pathways start in childhood. Mm -hmm. We see it in adulthood through heart disease, um, chronic lung disease, maybe behaviors that people never thought they'd choose, but they're really high risk and they're damaging to their bodies. When you have any one of those and then you layer discrimination on top of that, yeah. how easy is it to get help, right? Are you really going to call for help or trust that someone is going to, and so that's the additional layer of discrimination mm -hmm. on top of what we call life. Mm. And the beauty of managing discrimination, is just doing the opposite, mm. right? It's just love. Mm. And so when people would say like, aren't you worried your job's gonna be really hard? I'm like, no, because my job's easy. It's just about being kind. That's mm -hmm. all health equity is. Mm -hmm. And so with discrimination, I think too often Winnie, I know as an Indian American raising mixed race children, it's easy for people to sort of underestimate how serious those little slights are, how much those small comments, um, mm -hmm. putting people in boxes mm -hmm. actually 
do to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those sometimes those memories stay with you, right? And then you bring them to the next experience. And we we want to stop that now. We've got to stop that now. Yeah. Well, telling me. <laughs> I know. Right. I've, I've walked in the room. I've walked in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that you can feel. Yeah. Absolutely. And things you can sense. Mm-hmm. I can't always put my finger on it, but it's there looming. Mm-hmm. And right. I know it's there. Um, but you know, the, the inside of me has to push it mm-hmm. aside and keep going. And that is not even a good thing because I have to push it down. If I don't, I can't get up in the morning. I mean, seriously, it would affect me in such a way that I would not be able to get up in the morning and, and go. But there are things you have to just push, push, push down. I can't, I can't think about that. I've got to go on. Um, and having that kind of reaction, you know, Makes you drink. <laughs> well, well, and I mean, it well, makes you do stuff. Well, and think about it, right? Like life is hard. Like we just survived a pandemic, and then, yeah. and not to mention everything else that's happened in yeah. life, and then you yeah. put that on top of it. Yeah. That that's right. just because of something, like you can't control how you were born or what your race is right. or like who your parents were. Like you have no control over that, and people are judging you because of that. Yeah. And that is just—it's it's tough because I have a son. Um, who's in his 30s, but we still have to talk about how he Mm -hmm. has to appear and how he has to do every single time he gets in the car. And we go over that. And I have had the conversation more often than I can tell you. And all I say to him is do anything you can just to stay alive, because if you can stay alive, I can help. I can fight. I can do something for you. But if you get killed, I can't do anything. So you just have to put your hands up, do whatever you got to do. If you get stopped or pulled over, yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you have to do to get go to jail, I can get you. But it's that kind of conversation you have to have. I mean, and that's wearing even in the pandemic. And then again, on top of that, we've Mm -hmm. got to deal with, you know, the, you know, it's, it's a lot to deal with. It really is kind of stressful. It's very stressful. I can't imagine. Like I, I just, you know, um, my friends who are moms um, of color, Um, or who are, I just know that they have different conversations with their Mm -hmm. kids than I have to have with mine. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, I don't think about it. It just doesn't even cross my mind. So to think about that added stress, that weight, just that, and that worry, like I cannot imagine like every time your kid gets in the car, like you're thinking, don't speed. Don't like follow every right, rule to the right. T. Don't, don't call attention. Don't, don't call attention. Yes. And yeah. they I, just my my friends have called like they just had different experiences than I have. And so I'm just grateful that we're able to talk about it. And I'm you know, I, I just want to understand and support any way that I can yeah. because it's it's a burden and that wears on people. It really does. And I've had a couple of instances where I've been pulled over and the heart is racing. I'm oh. I mean, it's it's a scary situation and you're breathing and you're trying to remember how to breathe and, you know, do all of that. And, but and, you, do, and you don't, you don't ever want to be nervous in front of a cop because then they're going to like, what are you, what are you upset about? Well, I'm upset because this, the flashing lights in the back of the car, I'm, you know, it's just, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It is. But all of that deals with mental health and, and I've got to, you know, help him 
in his 30s still. You know, and a lot of people think, well, when they turn 18, it'll be so great. No, <laughs> it never goes no. away. It never goes away. You are nope. always a parent. No, I don't care wh- how old they are. And Absolutely. I still worry about him all the time. But yeah, and I worry about seriously about this on his mental health. Um, he does suffer sometimes with depression and what that feels like and how that shows up. Um, you know, it's it's a lot. We could go on forever about that. But, but you think- know, that's important. Sorry, I just want to take this a beautiful uh, point you're making, though, that as an adult, he has continued mm-hmm. to worry about an identity that he had at birth yeah. that was celebrated yeah. and beautiful and wonderful. Yeah. And so then our trick in healthcare is how to create a space for families like you and your son to be able to bring that in up, right? Mm-hmm. And then we receive that information and we take it seriously. Right. And so then when someone is seeking support and services, we can say, where do you feel valued and celebrated? Because that has to be part of that um, response, whether it's your faith-based community, mm-hmm. your neighbors, people at work, or therapists, or your pediatrician or your psychiatrist. Like all of us need to be aware that those stories that families of any minority group have are highly relevant to how we respond and create a shared treatment plan with you. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not, it makes me sad to just think how long that has to continue for someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that story, though, Winnie. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. Partap, why did you decide to go into this line of work? You know, uh, back in med school, I saw a survivor speak about domestic violence. It wasn't something that I was really familiar with. And uh, I started screening at in med school and I was like, oh my gosh, all these families are saying, all these women are saying yes, that they are in an unsafe relationship and they are being physically harmed. And it just became so evident to me that trauma and adversity in the home was one of the biggest drivers for what we were treating and doing a bad job of treating um, for the families who kept coming back. And then when I started pediatrics, it became like a family issue, right? Because now what's happening with the family and the adults is absolutely affecting this beautiful child that they're bringing for shots. And like, these shots are great and I believe in them, but what we really need to talk about <laughs> is everything else happening, Around you know? It, yeah. and, um, and there's so much hope, you know, when we can get it right in pediatrics, that's a two generational, three generational, like we finally have this moment where we can start to shift this trajectory for whole groups of people. And I hope all of our children have a much better experience than, than all of us have had. And, and so that's what keeps me going. That's why I entered it. And that's why I kind of can't stop. You know, it's like, yeah. My form of drinking, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, much more positive. Than, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the work never ends. <laughs> no, right. it has not so far. But. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Partap. We appreciate everything that you're doing to help the children and families in our community. And a real, like, again, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Like, I just cannot tell you how much joy it brought me to be part of the REACH Institute and to be there and to see our pediatrician so excited, um, you know, to give a whole weekend to learn how to treat mental health um, conditions. Like, it just, like, it was the highlight of my year. So, yeah. Gives you hope. Gives you hope. Absolutely. And to our Raising Joy listeners, we really appreciate all of your support. So we're asking, please rate, review, and subscribe to keep these conversations going. 
But before we go, we want to give a special shout out today to someone that you probably never hear, never see, don't know anything about, but she is very special to Raising Joy. She's our executive producer. She is the creator, the thinker, the always doing Kim Brown. Absolutely. I it has just been such a pleasure to get to know her. And um, honestly, this podcast was an idea, but got off the ground and actually happened because of her. And I cannot say thank you enough. And she is graduating with her master's from Texas Tech University. And we wanted to say thank you thank for you. all of your work behind the scenes. Yep. Congratulations. How do you do it all? I don't know, but and we are so proud of her. So, so proud. proud of her. <laughs> so, so very proud. Kim, this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, joy stands for just breathe. Open up. You, you matter. matter.